everyone, this is Andy Vasley, and you're listening to the Run Your Life podcast. Today, I have Raha Moharik joining me on the podcast to share her truly amazing journey of being the first Saudi Arabian woman and the youngest Arab woman to climb Mount Everest and the seven other highest peaks in the world. But to set the frame for my conversation with Raha today, it's important to understand just how difficult it is to climb Mount Everest. We've all heard about it from Sir Edmund Hillary in 1953 being the first person to climb Everest to the thousands that have tried since then. So we've all heard about it, we've probably seen documentaries on it, but it doesn't put into perspective just how difficult it is. It's a very hazardous undertaking that is not for the faint-hearted. At 29,032 feet, Everest's summit has approximately one-third the air pressure that exists at sea level which significantly reduces a climber's ability to breathe in enough oxygen. Because of this, scientists have determined that the human body is not capable of remaining indefinitely above the 19,000 feet range. And as climbers move higher up the mountain and their oxygen intake is greatly reduced, their bodies are increasingly at risk for a number of ailments, including pulmonary edema, cerebral edema, and blood embolisms, as well the chances of frostbite, as you can imagine with temperatures plummeting to sometimes minus 50, minus 60 degrees Celsius. So the chances of frostbite are also dramatically increased at such altitude as the heart has to work much harder to pump blood around the body delivering oxygen. So the story goes that the life-giving organs are a first priority to a climber and the last are the digits, the fingers and the toes. So there are many climbers that have lost fingers and toes due to frostbite on attempts going up Everest. But once at Everest base camp, it then takes an average of 40 days to climb to the peak. Now, if you're an expert climber in phenomenal physical condition this can be done much quicker but for the average person it's about 40 days it takes great strength to climb this mountain and with every step our body needs more energy and more oxygen and with dwindling reserves of oxygen in the body the body and mind become much more susceptible to careless mistakes and injury reaching the top of mount everest is a feat that only as of January 2023, only 6,338 people have accomplished. So it's a great accomplishment to be able to say that you've climbed Everest. The trek to the summit takes months of physical preparation and weeks of acclimatization to get climbers used to the mountain's oxygen-starved altitudes. So again, you can see the dangers involved in climbing Everest. So. Uh, when I think of Raha's experience summiting Everest, what an amazing accomplishment it was. And when I think about Raha's story, a quote from Nelson Mandela comes to mind. What Mandela said is this, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers his fear. Raha exemplifies what it means to 
be courageously bold in one's life and to take the risks needed to truly leap into the unknown. And for Raha, that leap into the unknown led her to scaling some of the most difficult mountain climbs in the world. What makes Raha's story even more inspiring is that she was able to achieve all of this during a time when many Saudi Arabian women were discouraged from dreaming big and taking on difficult challenges. Having grown up in Jeddah, Raha had never been exposed to mountaineering at all, but she lived a very adventurous and athletic life early on, which propelled her on to dreaming big. In order to prepare for her journey to the top of Everest, she was required to get as much climbing experience in as possible. So in the year prior to summiting Everest, she challenged herself to be able to scale seven of the highest peaks in the world. As well, during that time, she worked on her technical skills in mountaineering at a climbing school in Seattle, Washington. It was a genuine pleasure to have her on the show. And let's jump right into the first part of our conversation with Raha introducing herself and sharing a bit about early days in her life and how she ended up becoming a mountaineer. Okay, Raha, it's fantastic uh, to be with you in person. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we, we were trying to record virtually, and I know you were super busy yeah. b- before the winter holidays, yes. and I think it worked out better. This is so much better. Yeah. We have a saying in Arabic, Kul fiha every delay has a blessing. Yeah. So this is a blessing. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. And so I'm really happy to have you here in person. Yeah. And uh, I want to thank my good buddy, Jorge Rodriguez and sound producer. Thanks for being here, Jorge. <laughs> and thanks for the help today. Yeah. Thanks for pulling me in. I'm really excited to hear your story and to get to know you a little bit better. Me too. Yes. Yeah, so... Uh, just to set the frame, so this is a, a podcast, you're here for the Winter Enrichment Program, mm-hmm. so I'm going to share a bit about that later in the episode. Uh, but for the listeners that really aren't familiar with you or, or your accomplishments, can you let us know who you are, where you're from, and what early life was like for you? <laughs> I always, uh, I struggle a little bit whenever people ask me to do, to explain who I am, because I'm I'm a bit of a layered cake, and I'm not... I'm not one faceted at all. I'm very multifaceted. So in essence, I like to say that I'm an adventurer. I'm a curious soul. Um, I have a love of, of exploring the world and I was always very athletic. So all that kind of culminated into being a mountaineer at some point in my life. Um, my love of adventure, my love of sports and the out- outdoor and travel married into mountain climbing. And um, I picked up mountain climbing and I decided to go climb all the mountains <laughs> so the high speak in each continent and it just so happens that one of them is a teeny mountain in the Himalayas called Everest and it just so happens that I was the first woman from the, from the region to climb it from, from Saudi Arabia so that kind of exploded me into the world as an athlete in the region which is just an incredible opportunity and I'm so fortunate to be able to um, to represent women, especially in this day and age, um, w- women in the Arab women in general, and specifically Saudi women. So, 
yeah, I'm a, I'm an adventure mountaineer <laughs> with an insatiable appetite to see the world, I guess. That's beautiful. What an ambassador. What an opportunity <laughs> to really, you talk about changing the world, and I know that's what you want to do. You want to change the world and, and make a difference. And, um, you know, I just think of you as, as a young person, and when you think about yourself as a young person, what are some of the strengths that you feel you developed that went on to serve you so well in, in your journey now? That's a really good question because a lot of people only only see your summit pictures but don't see anything else. Um, discipline, 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 and sacrifice. Like the 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 only I was saying this earlier in the in the the interview I had. I I believe no one is born truly truly born with a skill like a magical skill without mm. in a vacuum. Mm. You have to be exposed to something to know you're good at something, and then you have to have the discipline to hone it, to keep it and mm. improve it. So nobody is just given like a magical thing. So in my case, I think my skill is the discipline to, 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 to learn and to teach myself how to be a mountaineer and how to hone my skill as a mountain climber, despite not ever growing up as a mountaineer yeah. at all. So every... Every person has the capacity and capability of being incredible, but not everybody has the aptitude and the the grit and determination and sacrifice to find that skill and keep it. You can be born with some talent, but it won't continue in life because age and whatever and things happen to you. But you can be born talentless and the only ability you have is discipline and you yeah. can build on something that you're mildly good at. Mm -hmm. So this is, a, it's a fallacy when people say, yeah, but you were very good at this. I'm like, what do you mean? Very good at what? Like yeah. the only ice I saw was in the fridge and the only thing I climbed was the stairs. So what are you talking about? So I always like to remind people that um, if you have the right discipline and the right mindset and it doesn't come cheap, there's yeah. a lot of sacrifice. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And when you think of mountain climbing, like when was your first moment where you were captivated mm. by the thought of potentially climbing a mountain? Like <laughs> how did that all come about? What sparked that? I like that question because I have to be honest. I can give you like a cool reason, but the truth is I hated people's reaction to me when I said I was going to climb the mountain. It was very negative. And this was before all of the amazing changes and amazing evolution that we're going through now as, as a country for women, mm -hmm. as Saudi Arabia, as a Saudi woman. This was 10 years ago almost. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I told people, I'm going to climb a mountain, the reaction was horrible. And that was like one of the, the main drives for me to decide to climb that mountain. Mm -hmm. Because no one should tell you what you can and cannot do. No one should dictate what your capability is based on your gender, your, your passport, or, or any of these things that don't matter. Mm -hmm. So the negative reaction was my catalyst actually okay um, i i've always wanted to be an adventurer but it, it manifested into mountaineering because i was told you can't climb <laughs> so right. i picked mountaineering because it was so far from the reality did you watch documentaries or did you, you know? so as a child i was always infatuated with the world my favorite shows were the adventure shows yeah. in, in, on tv um I'm giving away my age, but back then we didn't have Google. So I used to ask my parents to give me the encyclopedia books. So I used to pick letters and, and read about countries around the world and, and places around the world. And it fed into my love of adventure and my sense awesome. of curiosity and bewilderment. And I, I have to give my parents uh, credit because I'm a token to 
them because mm-hmm. they allowed me to dream they allowed me to 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 be creative and to and to to be different because yeah. i i i am quite different in my background from for a man or, or a woman yeah it's very rare that you have someone who just quits their life and goes climbing around the world yeah for sure so and then add to that that i'm a woman from saudi so there's yeah. a lot of really complicated things behind that yeah but my parents kind of knew how to accept me and love me for who i am i still awesome. drove, drove them nuts yeah, yeah i mean i still drove them because whenever i say there's like oh you're, you're your parents are so lucky they're not yeah, yeah. <laughs> i gave them a hard time yeah um were they a, adventurous in in their right in their in their generation yes like they yeah. used to travel they used to like my mom used to be a champion swimmer my dad in their in their generation yes but not to the extent that i went to. yeah yeah i mean seven summits 14 expeditions <laughs> like seven continents and some <laughs> yeah. of the most <laughs> that's a bit that's a bit extreme but yeah. um they they love me for who i am and awesome. they they chose to love me over over conformity and i yeah. give them a lot of credit for that they could have they could have broken me they could have pushed they could have made me choose between them and who i am but they never did In the next part of our conversation, I will share a short snippet from an article written by CNN about Raha in 2013. So Raha and I will discuss the content of that article, uh, which was written right after she had scaled Mount Everest. And it was a beautiful article written about her life and her journey and the things she learned about herself through the journey of climbing Everest. But In this part of the chat, Raha will also speak about the influence that her parents had on her, in particular her father. As well, Raha will take us through what climbing Mount Everest was like and what it was she learned about herself from the experience. So let's jump right into this part of the discussion now. There's a CNN article that I want to share with the audience right now. It was written August 13th, 2013. And I want to just read you this part from the article and ask you to finish the story. Okay. So it says that Muharak, who had been raised by her parents to aim for greatness, wanted to test her limits. And that also meant challenging her culture. Mountaineering seemed like the perfect pursuit, but getting her father who still maintained conservative views to agree was going to be the first hurdle. (laughs) I told him the idea and he was like, you want to do what? (laughs) Ah, very interesting. Why don't you leave it until after you get married? Moharik recalls. Finish the story. So he told me, why don't you just leave it till after you get married? And he really bothered me. And I told him that I, I, I want to climb. And if I was my brother, you would have been more understanding. And, my this came from love. My dad was worried about me because mm-hmm. he would have still been worried about if it was my brother, but he would have been less shocked. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I, I convinced him. I, I sent him a very, very, very long email, my version of a letter, and I threw every single thing that he taught me at him. Great. I, I told him, "You're the one that made me believe I can do this. You're the one that made me believe that I can, 
I can reach the stars and go as high as I fly as high as I wanted. Why are you limiting this to me now? And I love sharing the story because after my career, if you ask my father his version of 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 events, he says she climbed because of me. I'm like, that's not exactly what happened, Dad. You told me no. He's like, exactly. I told you no, so you wanted it even more. And I love how he became. He went from my my harshest critic and my biggest hurdle to my best supporter and biggest ally. Beautiful. I love in my story and the arc between me and my father. We didn't have agreeing views, mm-hmm. but he could see the passion. He could see that I loved it. And during that era in Saudi, it was a different era to now because mm-hmm. we still had to get travel approval. We don't live in that era anymore. But during that time, I st- I had to get his approval. Yeah. Um. Because this was eight nine years ago. And I love how his art completely changed. And he mm. wants to take credit for it now, yeah. but um, he he was against it. But now he celebrates me so much. He's just unbelievably like understanding, and I, I can't imagine I would have reached half of what I was half of what I've accomplished without my father and without my mom. So I love that. I love that um, he went from, you're insane, you need to go get married to wins the next mountain. Yeah, that's great. I love that. It says uh, at the end, well, midpoint of the article, it says, and after the three days of silence when you were waiting for oh his response. Oh my God, response, we still fight about that. Yeah. I tell him, he, he says, it was not, it was just a day. I'm like, it was uh, three days, four days. He replied, he, he had, he sent one sentence. I actually printed out and gave him that email. Yeah. He, after I sent him like a really, really long uh, letter, yeah. he replied, he said, you're crazy. I love you. Go for it. Yeah. And it, it's incredible because that one sentence changed my life. Neither him nor I would have ever imagined, or my mother, because she was, she was in the, she was always in the background. My mom, she was the first person I spoke to about this. Mm-hmm. Of course, she's like my my insider person in the house. We never imagined that this this would open so many doors and would lead me to the life I always wanted, which is being an adventure athlete, (laughs) adventure traveler. Yeah, and I think when you say it changed your life, I think we could venture to say that it changed the lives of many young women following in your footsteps. I hope so. That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's talk about um, your experience with Everest. So how did you train for it? What, What were the obstacles... You know, what was that experience like? The thing is about Everest, because people always ask me, were you ready? No, you're really never, ever truly ready to climb that mountain. It's a it's a mammoth beast of a mountain. So you're never really actually ready. But I tried to prep as much as I can. I contacted the climbing company. I asked them to to advise me how, how to prep myself, because can you can you imagine... Uh, me emailing them saying, hi, my name is Anna from Saudi Arabia. I'd like to join your Everest expedition. And then they reply back, okay, what have you climbed? Yeah. <laughs> Where do you live? <laughs> you can imagine the reaction of this company. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> so I had to, they gave me a list of, uh, I think 10 climbs or 10 things to do. And I did eight of them in a year. Oh, nice. So in 12 months, I did eight of the- To prepare. To prepare and for them to accept because I wanted to go with the top company. And it was a it was twelve months of, of of hell. It was really hard, training and prepping, and even the gear at the Peaks time. Peaks around Asia. No, I did uh, I did volcanoes in Mexico. I did um, I did uh, Antarctica. I did uh, Aconcagua in Argentina. I did many, many just to prep and. To and be, did you feel your stamina and strength? Was absolutely, along? yeah. And what about the technical skills? 
that was the training in Seattle I had to do. Uh, so okay. you had to do survival training, mountain uh, rangers and stuff. You have to be able to be a team, right? you know, a team member. So I had to learn all of these things, survival training and crevasse training and crevasse rescuing and everything. And I come from Jeddah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really different terrain. Um, but I did that. I trained myself. I prepped myself and... Yeah, I was. I don't think. I don't think anyone's ever ready like to climb Everest. I don't think it. You're really not. If you are, then you're arrogant. Um, if you feel like you are, then you're arrogant. And um, were the nerves going when you were taking the helicopter to base camp? Y- you know what? The nerves started going because it's a gradual hike. It's a gradual climb. It's two months, so it's not like a. Yeah. It's like a slow because you you want you climb you go slowly down you go. You pass all of the cities, Tengbushe, uh, Nengbushe, and Namche, and you go up. So you you gradually it builds up in your head, and then once you start doing the climbing rotations, where you start go through the when you start actually going through the Kumbu icefall, and you hear the icefall rest and breathe, and crack under you, mm. and then you're like, it's real. It's getting real. <laughs> There's actually a section in the in the Kumbu icefall. That's called the popcorn field. Can you guess why it's called the popcorn field? Cracking and popping the whole Cracking time. Cracking and popping the whole time you're yeah. there. So every time you pass it, you hear like popcorns and things popping. And that's not what you want to hear when you're climbing an icefall. Yeah. Um, so yeah, nerves started to build up the, the tighter the rotations became. Because we used to go up and down, up and down. And then they became shorter and shorter and shorter. So that's... When when you realize, am I really doing this? Yeah. But yeah, it's um, I'm so lucky. Yeah, I'm so fortunate to be able to do what I do and come back down with, thankfully, all my fingers and all my toes, and I'm very fortunate. And I climbed it the classic way, so it's changed a little bit now over yeah. the years after COVID and after the earthquake and after the avalanche, it's changed a bit. Right. So we climbed it the classic way. We were the last year to climb it the classic way. What was the weather like? Incredible. Yeah. We had a few days of hairy weather. But not close to the weather window. Yeah. The weather window is the day that you go up. So we had a few really bad ones, like blizzards and stuff. But thankfully, nothing so severe. I had the worst weather conditions in Denali. Horrible. Yeah. That was a really tough mountain. Yeah. That was really hard. Can, can I ask a quick question? Um, in your preparation to climbing Everest, was there ever a time when you thought like, this isn't what I expected. Maybe, maybe I thought something more glamorous, and this is, this isn't necessarily like what I expected. Adventure climbing would be. No, I was, I was starstruck. Yeah. I grew up like reading books and and Edmund Hillary and and uh, Shackleton, and like I, 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 this was my dream. I knew it was going to be rough and gruff and ugly. Like I knew it was going to be that bad. Mm-hmm. I was actually surprised at some of the 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 comforts we had. I was surprised we had some good food some of the nights. Really, really good food some of the nights in base camp. Shout out to Garrett Madison, who was the our head our head guide, who made sure we had good warm food when we were at base camp. So sometimes I was like, "Wow, this is yummy," or maybe because I was hungry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe because, I, but um, I was surprised we had movie nights sometimes in in the team tent. So we had some some cool things. But no, I was so, you know, when you dream of something, it can. You, your expectation can just ruin it for mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. but when you're grateful, you're happy. When you're, I had such gratitude to be up there. I was so happy, just oh, to amazing. just to be part. I'm a Saudi woman who was climbing the highest mountain in the world before anyone else did, and I didn't know that until I 
I was already in it. I, I didn't know I was that. So it was a surprise when I was prepping and climbing. Mm-hmm. Then someone told me, by the way, that we have no record of anyone else yeah. climbing it. I was like, wow, so I'm going to be me. And <laughs> I had no idea yeah. that it was a big deal. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was very, very lucky. You know, you know when you say that you, I always say that you make your own luck. So I worked really hard to get there, and then I was lucky. But yeah. I worked hard to get that luck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's what they say. It's it's in the preparation. Yeah, it's being prepared. Yeah, right. And that's where luck meets success. Exactly. Right. Uh, today in the panel, someone said, um, "The more I practice, the luckier I get." So yeah. there's correlation between putting time in and effort to your luck. Yeah, for sure. Before getting into the last part of my discussion with Raha, I'd like to ask all of you listening right now to reflect on your own life and to think about some of the most difficult and challenging things that you've either accomplished or come very close to accomplishing. And when you think of those things, to what extent was fear involved when you tackled these challenges. And if we look at fear in general in your life, when it shows up, do you have any specific strategies that you use to combat it so that you can move forward in the most productive ways possible despite the fear? Well, as a mountaineer, fear was a constant in Raha's life, as the pursuit of climbing can be treacherously dangerous at times. In the next part of our conversation, Raha shares what she has come to learn about fear itself and how she was able to best deal with it in order to not let it hold her back. So this is really interesting to get her take on it because obviously in all of the peaks she had climbed, she had experienced danger on multiple different fronts in multiple different circumstances based on weather and the the challenge of of climbing itself and, you know, the things that she had gone through. So it's really interesting to get her spin on fear. So we kind of unpack that in this last part of the discussion. As well, Raha discusses her role in the Winter Enrichment Program Conference, which was held here at Coast in January, and the important messages she wanted to deliver to the audience attending her talks the week of the conference itself. I highly encourage you check out Raha's work. She shares where you can find her on social media at the end of this episode. As always, thanks for listening to the Run Your Life podcast, and I hope you enjoy the last part of my conversation with the inspiring Raha Moharik. Please share this episode with anyone who you feel will benefit from listening. Thanks very much, and we'll see you again soon. I've got a couple quotes for you about fear, and then I want to ask you what resonates with you. So Jewel, the famous uh, singer-songwriter, one of her quotes is, fear is a thief, and it takes the past 
and projects it into the future. It robs you of the only opportunity you have to create lasting change. Mm. There's another quote, courage is not the absence of fear, but the awareness that something else is more important. Absolutely. Yeah, so of those two quotes, what, what resonates with you and oh, what, do you, what do you want to share? Very about? similar, yeah. but very similar. I always say that when people ask me, were you afraid? I say, absolutely. Like, what do you think? Of course I was afraid. I, I did it anyway, and that's when bravery is. Doing something and not being afraid is not being brave. It's just a task. But when you're afraid and you do it, that's when bravery, that's the true meaning of bravery. And uh, I like I like her quote. Uh, it resonates with me, and it reminds me of another another. I think it's um, I think it's an analogy. I think it's uh, I think it's. I'm not sure who says it. I think it's Native American originally. Mm-hmm. They say that if you have two wolves, which one will be stronger? And the answer is the one you feed. Mm-hmm. So it's the same with fear, and bravery so mm-hmm. if you feed fear mm-hmm. it will be bigger yeah. than your bravery so you have to always try to feed the thing you want to you want to be yeah so try to as much as you can focus on the positive and it's really easy said than done like yeah, yeah don't don't you know do it anyway but you're terrified yeah there's no way around it um except to accept that you are afraid and mm-hmm. you are honest about your fear yeah and you're not ashamed for being afraid yeah. So a lot of people are like, no, I'm not afraid. And that's not a healthy, that's not a healthy way to handle fear. Yeah. You have to befriend your fear. Yeah. You have to be able to, to be comfortable with being afraid. Yeah. Because it's, it's, a, it's a means for you to survive. Fear is a way, f- it's a meter mm-hmm. for you to, to realize something is dangerous. And that's healthy. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with wanting to survive. It's what you do with your fear that matters. Yeah. So are you afraid and stand still? Or are you afraid and move? Yeah. I suggest to be those who are yeah. afraid and move. Yeah, Alex Honnold, uh, when he climbed El Capitan, yeah, I free, saw that. Free soloed, and he talked about, you know, everybody always asked him about fear, fear, fear. Yeah. But he was so prepared. You know, he sat there with his team. Mm-hmm. I and saw he, that. He, yeah, he carved out and chiseled away every piece of moss that would get in his way and, and was totally planned, mm-hmm. right? And did not take any chances at all. You yeah. know, so he 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 reduced the amount of fault. Yeah, he reduced the amount of fault. He's also extraordinary. I mean, yeah. he has something missing in his brain that that activates his fight or flight. Because yeah. I watched the documentary. Yeah, he is also extraordinary. Yeah, but what he says does have merit. Yeah, you you try to to reduce. You'll never be able to negate the chance of of something happening to you because something can happen to you anytime. Yeah. But you can reduce the amount of, of things that can hurt you or affect you mm-hmm. or, or, God forbid, kill you. So that's the true, the, the true thing you can control. You can't control the other variables. Yeah. And um, did you have any specific techniques for dealing with fear, such as tapping into the breath or you know, any calming techniques in those critical moments? The ability to not think about something is such an important tool. People don't know how to do that. To, to not think about something is not easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy. When, when there's when there's something bothering you or when there's something hurting you in your body, you're constantly thinking, oh my God, it hurts me, it hurts me. Mm-hmm. You have to literally look at your foot and say, shut up, you're fine, continue. Yeah. You have to be mind over matter mm-hmm. because your mind is far more capable than your body. Your mind is far more powerful 
than your than your body. So your body wants to give up because your body wants to immediately survive and we don't like pain. Mm. But your mind is what tells you what hurt. Your mind says, this hurts, this doesn't hurt. So mm. if you turn off that, mm -hmm. then you have the ability to push beyond the limits. And that's not an easy skill. And that's what you probably developed over the year of you preparation absolutely. as well, right? I call it autopilot. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to explain. But I, I, once I get in a rhythm, once I get in, in like a proper... There's like a specific sound that constantly happens. It's usually the sound of your, your pants or the swoosh. That's the, the only the rhythm I have. And then I go on autopilot. Yeah, your eternal pace. Yeah, yeah. I just, I pick something. Mm -hmm. It's, and then in my mind, I'm on the beach somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm having my favorite food somewhere. Yeah. I'm warm and happy somewhere. And I, and I like to play movies in my head and, quotes in my head and make up movies and make up scenarios and I just go on autopilot and it's a very difficult skill to have but when you're climbing for 10 hours or 12 hours you need it yeah mm -hmm. yeah for sure and when you think about WEP now so if we were to go into WEP and I'll just read one short part and then ask you you know the message that you're delivering here this week and what you want the people who listen to your talks what you want them to walk away embracing within their hearts so web is about you know this idea of uh, it will look at knowledge tr transformation through the lens of the edge the cusp of discovery where the bold take risks to push frontiers to expand understanding to change the world through research edge will seek out the risk takers across a broad spectrum not just interdisciplinary science pioneers but also boundary breakers, such as yourself, Raha, the <laughs> policymakers that enable and the communicators that explain the unexplainable. So knowing the theme of WEP, what is it that you hope people walk away with? Not everybody is going to climb Everest that's in the Himalayas, but everyone has an Everest to climb. Mine just happens to be the actual Everest in the Himalayas, mm. but every single person has an Everest to climb, and that's your edge. There's magic in reaching the edge. You don't know who you are until you push yourself there. There's an incredible human being inside you that's waiting to be discovered, but can only be activated once you push that person to, to a healthy edge. And that's why I always tell people to find their Everests. Mm -hmm. Find it, whether it's that dream job or that dream trip or the dream family or to be a chef or to be an astronaut or to be whatever you want. Find that edge find that mountain and discover who you really are. We are far more capable than we think we are, but most of us don't have the courage to find out. Yeah, beautiful message. And it does require leaping into the unknown. Absolutely. The, the ability you, you, to discover who you are is probably one of the most scary, daunting tasks every human being goes through in life. Mm -hmm. Who you truly are mm -hmm. is just an incredible journey that you go through and people just scratch the surface of who they are and they're content with just 40% of their, of their capabilities. Mm -hmm. But I guarantee you, we are far more capable than we think we are. Yeah. Human beings are just so complex and so diverse and beautiful and a work of art, we're, we're not, we're not what, what, what we think we are. We're mm -hmm. not as... Um, as uh, simple. I always tell people, if you don't discover or, or travel the world, it's like painting with one color. Mm. It's like honing a skill, but only with one color. 
look how dull it would be. Mm. Or reading a book two pages in. You won't know what's in there if you don't have the courage or the determination to discover. Right. And the best, the longest, the most important relationship you have with your life is with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so if you don't want to discover who you are, nothing else will be able to be built on it. And many people don't have that skill. Mm-hmm. To go and sit alone in a restaurant, to, to travel alone, to go to the movies alone mm-hmm. is such an important skill because you need to be at peace with who you are. Absolutely. You need to be able to put the phone, no one speaks to you, and still be happy and content in yourself. Mm-hmm. Once that happens, you have that balance, then you can build everything else around a healthy person. But a lot of people can't do that. They constantly need it. They need a reaction. They need something to react to. They need, they need people around them. They need distractions. They need mm-hmm. things to, f- to fill a void. But travel alone, eat alone, go to the movies alone, walk around alone. Yeah. And if you can, do a climb once in your life. It will, it will discover, you will discover who you really are. Yeah, beautiful message. And if we project forward the next five, 10 years, like what's, what's in store <laughs> for you? What, what is it that you hope to accomplish? COVID taught me not to think, yeah. <laughs> not, to, not to have too many. Um, it changed my life, like many people. Um, for now, I go back to my six-year-old answer. When people used to ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I used to say happy. Mm. So that's what I want to be. In five years or 10 years, or God give me long life, inshallah, I want to be happy mm-hmm. in whatever I'm doing, whether it's starting a family or starting a company or going to space, which is one of my dreams, or seeing every country in the world, which is another one of my dreams, just to be happy and to be content. And the world has just become so so dark and sad and angry and many, many negative things so let's control the things that we can control and try yeah. to 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 be kind to ourselves and kind to others. Yeah. So I don't want to make I don't want to give a complicated promise. Yeah. I just want to be happy. Beautiful and fulfilled. And fulfilled. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's not happy all the time because no one's happy all the time because that's not natural. But um but yeah, people don't realize that happiness is not a given. Mm-hmm. It's something you work on. Yeah, for sure. And where can people find you? So where can they find your work and find out Usually more Usually in you? Terminal 3 in Dubai. <laughs> yeah. um, jokes aside, uh, I'm really easy to get in touch with. Uh, social media, Raha Muharak, R-A-H-A-M-O-H-A-R-R-A-K. I'm very creative. I use my name for my Instagram. <laughs> or Living Curiously, that's yeah. my motto. And uh, yeah, contact me if you have any questions. Consider me like the, that crazy cousin that does <laughs> crazy things and goes around the world if you have any advice, if you would like any advice. Um, let me know. And if you feel alone, reach out. Yeah. Please, I, I've been posting on my social media about loneliness. So it's a, this is something I'd like to mention is that um, it's it's okay to to be to feel lonely sometimes, but it's not okay to, to be alone. Mm-hmm. So if you're lonely or if you feel sad, if you feel you want to talk to someone, please reach out to your friends and loved ones or me or anyone. Mm-hmm. And um, don't feel alone because we, we, we have to stick together and we have to try to help each other. Yeah, great message. Thanks. Raha, thank you. Jorge, do you want to <laughs> share any final thoughts before we close off? No, I just think it's a, you have an amazing story. You have an amazing message. Being Thank the first, first uh, Saudi woman to climb seven, the seven summits. <laughs> I think that's just absolutely 
mind-boggling. It's, a, it's amazing you. your accomplishment, and like Andy said before, all the, the the inspiration that you bring to to young girls and women here in Saudi Arabia and mm -hmm. around the world. I think it's it's awesome what you do. So thank you, thank you for you're welcome for being you. <laughs> my pleasure. Thanks for giving me a chance to share my story. Yeah, we look forward to. Uh, seeing you in the future and, and anything you're up to. So, and we also, Jorge and I have a, uh, a network of uh, physical education and, and sport uh, educators around the world. And I would highly encourage anybody running a conference to maybe get in touch with you for uh, speaking. Yes, please. Yeah. I would be delighted. Yeah. Cause you got such an amazing story. So thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Okay. Thanks for having me. Andy Vassily.